Radio Gag, the Gays Against Guns show. Prepare to gag, yeah. Good afternoon, everybody, and welcome to Radio Gag, the weekly Gays Against Guns show. Radio Gag is your weekly update on how to end the horror that is the American gun violence epidemic. I'm Sarah Germain Lilly. On our show today, we'll share an interview with Professor Carol Anderson, author of the second, Race and Guns in a Fatally Unequal America. Professor Anderson joined us in conversation with J.W. Walker of Gays Against Guns. And I think you'll be excited about the way that Professor Anderson and Jay break it down and get to the real context of why we're so crazy in this country about our gun rights. So first, uh, we have an announcement for you. It's a presser coming up from Gays Against Guns. On Wednesday, December 7th, 2022, Gays Against Guns will be joined by LGBTQIA+, political, community-based, drag performers, and gun violence prevention allies at As You Are in Washington, D.C. We'll be there to decry the metastasizing threat from armed right-wing terrorist organizations attacking our communities across the country. In the last week alone, we have seen Patriot Front and Proud Boys using armed intimidation tactics at drag events in Columbus, Ohio, Lakeland, and Fort Lauderdale, Florida, Aurora, Illinois, Manhattan, Staten Island, and Oceanside, New York. The murders of five and the injuring of 17 more three weeks ago at Club Q in Colorado Springs, Colorado, is suspected to have been a response to drag events held there. And this weekend, the coordinated terrorist attack on the power substations in Moore County, North Carolina, seems to have been in response to a drag event which took place in the town of Southern Pines in that county. Enough is enough. Our communities must take a stand and issue demands of our elected leaders, law enforcement, and the greater community to take action on this threat to all Americans. This is domestic terrorism. And next up, J.W. Walker will tie all this together with the complex issues of gun rights and racism in America. Good afternoon, everybody. I'm Sarah Germaine Lilly, and I'm here today with J.W. Walker. Jay? Good afternoon, Sarah. Um, yeah, today we're going to talk about the intersection between gun violence and, you know, race, um, privilege, really the patriarchy and how the way that the United States has functioned has uh, in some ways supported sort of violent gun-based terrorism. This interview with Professor Carol Anderson on her book, The Second, Race and Guns in a Fatally Unequal America, was recorded the day before a hateful homophobe stormed into Club Q in Colorado Springs, killing five 
and injuring 18 members of our LGBTQIA2S plus community. At one point during the interview, Radio Gag producer Sarah Germain Lilly, Professor Anderson, and I discussed a long history of violent, politically motivated white people being coddled, even protected by our criminal justice system, dating back to Shays' Rebellion and the Whiskey Rebellion in the late 1700s. In both of those cases, although thousands participated in these violent armed insurrections against taxes, very few were actually indicted, tried, and convicted. All were pardoned in short work. That behavior toward white violent actors has been a recurrent theme throughout American history. From the Ku Klux Klan and lynch mobs between 1870 and 1950, to the violent white mobs that destroyed so many black communities like Rosewood, Florida and Greenwood, Oklahoma in the first half of the 20th century, to the false accuser and killers of Emmett Till, to Ruby Ridge, to the Bundy Ranch, to Dylan Roof's hamburger run, to the armed state house sieges against COVID-19 rules, to the failure to adequately marshal law enforcement and National Guard in advance of January 6, 2021, in the face of a widely known threat, and despite pleas from members of Congress, American law enforcement has a long history of coddling, excusing, and ignoring threats and acts of political and racial violence by white men. And our justice system has an equally long history of failing to mete out serious consequences when trials do actually take place. In Colorado Springs, we've seen a repetition of this paradigm, one that cost five lives and terrorized a community and the wider nation's LGBTQIA2S plus communities. In June of 2021, Colorado law enforcement had the opportunity to remove this person from our streets, get him any mental health help that might have been needed, and ensure that he could not legally access guns through the state's red flag laws. Instead, because his family chose not to press charges, the law enforcement apparatus of Colorado failed their communities by dropping the matter and sealing his record, even though he was not a juvenile at the time. Whether or not the fact that grandfather, Randy Vopel, is a member of the California State Assembly and a pro-insurrectionist maggot had anything to do with that kid glove treatment remains to be seen. But the fact remains that there is a possibility that these queer and allied lives might never have been put in jeopardy Saturday night had Colorado law enforcement treated this person as the threat to public safety he clearly was in June of 2021. Now, compare all of that to the law enforcement response to and or preparation for 18th and 19th century slave rebellions, unarmed, nonviolent civil rights marches of the 1950s and 60s, the MOVE Collective in Philadelphia, Pennsylvania in 1985, legal asylum seekers fleeing the horrors caused by American drug hunger 
and arms sales in countries in Central America, Black Lives Matter protests, and black and brown people holding everything from wallets to phones to BB guns in stores who have committed no crimes. The disparity and disproportionality are clear. If our law enforcement continues to coddle racist, homophobic, and violently disordered individuals just because they are white, they are ensuring that everyone in this country who is not a straight, white, Christian, American-born male remains under threat. You're listening to Radio Gag, the Gays Against Gun show here on listener-sponsored, commercial-free Radio WBAI. Thanks for listening at this special time. We are here every Tuesday at 2.30 bringing you the latest in gun violence prevention movement news. If you miss a show, you can listen to our previous shows anytime on the WBAI website or any major podcast platform. The Tower Fund is up. We are making a special push to ask you to help this listener-sponsored radio station by making a donation to help pay the rent on the tower. That's our broadcast tower. You would not be hearing us without that broadcast tower right now. So please go to give to, that's G-I-V-E numeral two, WBAI.org or call. 212-209-2950 and make a pledge, make a contribution to the Tower Fund to start paying the rent on our broadcast tower. And thank you. Gun violence is a complex problem in our country. The reasons behind our current crisis are many, but if we look at history, the history of the Second Amendment and the American right to bear arms, we have to face some difficult truths. We're going to share a clip from an interview J.W. Walker and I did with Professor Carol Anderson, the author of The Second, Race and Guns in a Fatally Unequal America. Well, welcome, listeners, to Radio Gag. We have a very special guest with us today. I'm Sarah Germaine Lilly, and we have Jay Walker, a founding member of Gays Against Guns, and we're here in conversation with Professor Carol Anderson. Carol Anderson is the Charles Howard Candler Professor of African American Studies at Emory University. She is the author of many books, including the New York Times bestseller, White Rage. I have wanted to interview her since I read the second, Race and Guns in a Fatally Unequal America. Professor Anderson, welcome to Radio Gag. Uh, thank you so much for having me. And welcome J.W. Walker. Thank you for being here. Uh, it's my pleasure, Sarah and, and Professor Anderson. Uh, it's just a thrill to uh, to be in this interview with you. Uh, likewise. Yeah, Professor Anderson, uh, you have said that your investigation into the killing of Philando Castillo led you to write the second Race and Guns in a Fatally Unequal America. Can you explain a little bit about that? 
Yes, I mean, if you recall, uh, Philando Castile was a black man in Minnesota and he was pulled over by the police. And the police officer asked to see his ID. And following NRA guidelines, Castile alerted the police officer that he had a license to carry weapon with him, but he was reaching for his ID as the police officer had requested. The cop didn't blink. He just put five bullets into Philando Castile in the car with the child sitting in the back seat. I mean, it was horrific. We all saw the footage of, of him bleeding and, and, and his fiance, Diamond Reynolds, saying, why did you shoot him, sir? And that question of, of this black man who has a license to carry weapon with him and being gunned down like that and then having the virtual silence of the NRA, you know, the NRA that comes off all big and bad and huffing and puffing about our Second Amendment rights um, and that actually called the federal government jackbooted government thugs for Ruby Ridge and for Waco went, went virtually silent on Philando Castile and was pushed by black members of the NRA to make a statement. And that statement was some milk of toast. Oh, we believe everybody has the right to bear arms and we have to wait for the investigation. And, and so pundits began asking, well, don't black people have second amendment rights? And I went, ooh, that is a great question. Uh, you know, I am a human rights scholar. All my books have been about rights. And that was one of the questions I hadn't probed. And so I thought, well, let me go answer that question. Let me go see. And I ended up going back into the 17th century, into 17th century laws and seeing how the issues of guns and race were actually handled at that time and then carrying it through all the way into the 21st century. And it was stunning. I, I found answers that I didn't know were there. I have to say, it's just eye-opening um, to read and your research is just so good. And when you just look at the evidence and you're like, but I thought, here it is encoded in the law person of color no guns and this was one of the things it was so patently clear early on i mean that fear of black people the the coding of black people as inherently dangerous as inherently criminal as inherently violent as something that the white community needed to be protected against um, that was like bedrock foundational in the, the 1700s, in the 1600s, in the 17th century, uh, in the 17th century. And then it just carried through. And so even today, when we hear about crime, 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 they don't mean the massive grifting of Donald Trump. They don't mean the stealing of documents and stashing them at Mar-a-Lago that Trump did. They don't mean that when they're saying crime, crime, crime. They mean in those urban areas with those scary black people. That's the coded language. It's now coded. It was not so coded back in the 17th century. The laws were just crystal clear. If you are a Negro, if you are enslaved, if you are a free black, you cannot have. Wow. While also at the same time encoding in the law that white men and white people were to have guns. Well, one one piece that I, I found really interesting was the account uh, of the 
um, the militia response to Shays Rebellion in Massachusetts. And because, you know, when you, when you look at that, and then you look at January 6, 2021, seems very similar, you know, in terms of how, how the policing of Black, uh, you know, Black people and armed Black people and even unarmed Black people is committed compared to what happens when a white armed mob forms. So I'd love to hear you talk about that. Yeah, and that was one of the things that also struck me um, as I was doing the research in this book and pulling it together was the differential, the disparate treatment of, of, of whites who rebel against the government and, and African-Americans who are fighting for their independence and their freedom. So with Shay's Rebellion, what you saw were whites were angry about a tax policy in Massachusetts. And so they started attacking the Massachusetts government. And I, I mean, and they were going after the armory. And so when the Massachusetts government tried to call out the militia to put down Shay's Rebellion, there were folks in the militia going, oh, no, we get ready to join that rebellion. This is cool. Um, and you had other folks like, no, I'm not fighting that. I'm not doing that. <laughs> um, and so the government sent up there going, dang, what are we going to do? What are we going to do? And and Shay's Rebellion, like, well, yeah, we coming for you. We coming for you. And so then you have the Boston merchants who are like, okay, we need to hire a mercenary army to put down Shay's Rebellion. So the militia is just like not, not, not there. So although we have this aura of this militia as being part of, of to enhance domestic tranquility by uh, putting down a, a, a tyrannical government or whatever. No, you don't see that happening. That is not the history of the militia. So they had to hire a mercenary army to put Shay's rebellion down. And then the way that the, the justice system treated Shay's Rebellion was like, yeah, we understand you were ticked. We get it. We get it. Yeah. Peace out. You know, you're free. Yeah. I know you spent a little time. I'm sorry we convicted you. Only a handful got convicted. We sorry we convicted you. But you know what? Now you're pardoned. Um, whereas when you look at, for instance, um, Gabriel's Rebellion, or, whoo, or mm. you know, where, where you had Black folks in Virginia who were thinking about what a true vibrant republic would look like, um, where people who actually got paid for their labor, sacre bleu, right? Where, <laughs> where folks had real freedom and, and, and they were amassing a force to be able to craft that, that free republic. And, and it didn't work. And there was mass hangings in the public square. Or when you look at the revolt in 1811 in Louisiana, um, yes. whoo, the response was that to that was beheadings and then putting heads on pikes and lining up the the severed heads along the pathway along the plantations as as a a warning to the enslaved. This is what will happen to you if you think that you can be free. Um, whereas you got Shays Rebellion or then the Whiskey Rebellion. Right. Where they they are tarring and feathering federal officers for trying to collect a tax. And and they took on the U.S. Army and won. And so now George Washington has to get on a horse as president of the United States and 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 charge into Pennsylvania to put down this whiskey rebellion. And. They're like, ooh, president, peace out. Okay, we're free. Okay, we're done. We're done. And 
And the response to the Whiskey Rebellion was like, yeah, we understand you were upset. And so you, you notice that what you didn't see coming after Shays or the Whiskey Rebellion were laws saying that white men cannot have guns because the threat, the danger is never seen in terms of whiteness. And it's the same thing when folks are trying to understand like the disparate response between the Black Lives Matter uh, protest in the summer of, of 2020 and the January 6th insurrection, the invasion of the Capitol, black as threat, whiteness as no threat. And so even though the threats are coming in to the FBI, to the Capitol Police, to the Secret Service, where they're talking about amassing guns, they're talking about killing Pence and killing Pelosi, they're like, nah. And so you don't see the array of violence against those invaders that you saw from the protests for Black Lives Matter, where they were trying to figure out what kind of new heat ray gun can we use on these Black Lives Matter protesters. Thank you, Professor Carol Anderson, author of The Second, Race and Guns in a Fatally Unequal America. And tune in next Tuesday at 2.30 p.m. to hear the conclusion of this interview. Jay and Professor Anderson really bring it home to the present moment. To find out more about working with us, please go to gazeagainstguns.net or follow us at Gaze Against Guns New York on Facebook and Instagram or Gag No Guns on Twitter. Also be sure to check out our website to learn more about actions. Sign up for info about meetings and actions at gagsignup at gmail.com. That's G-A-G sign up at gmail.com. Please remember that all are welcome to come to gag meetings. We need you at the National Vigil in DC. Please be an HB at the DC Vigil. You will dress in white and carry a poster of someone who has died from gun violence. That is what we mean by being a human being or an HB for the DC Vigil. We have a bus leaving at 9 a.m. December 7th, that's tomorrow, from the LGBTQ Center on 13th Street. More info is available at Gays Against Guns New York on Instagram and Facebook and Gag No Guns on Twitter. I'm still here. What you just heard was silence, the silence of no WBAI and no radio gag. That's what it sounds like without your donation. That's what it sounds like if we don't pay the rent on the tower. So please go to give to WBAI.org and make a contribution to the tower fund. It's time to end our show. Now, don't forget, you can listen to our previous shows anytime on the WBAI website or on any major podcast platform. And we're going to leave you with our fabulous political singing quartet, Sing Out Louise. Have a great and safe day. Live <laughs> from the rumpus room. <laughs> yeah.
wall between churches and Congress, making a choice between rightness and wrongness, taking down tyrants who act like they're kings. These are a few of my favorite things. The right to gather and the First Amendment, choices I'd rather and thoughts independent, getting a lawyer when I'm in a fight. These are a few of my favorite rights. When the laws bend, when the feds cheat, and I'm feeling mad, I simply remember the Constitution, and then I don't feel so bad. Marching around when I'm angry with Congress, shouting them down to make them keep their promise, going to school feeling safe day and night. These are a few of my favorite rights. When the news sucks, when the jerks win, and I'm feeling mad, I simply remember the Constitution, and then I don't feel